Before we get back to today's show, here's a quick word from HubSpot. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. Like try to remember the name of that guy you just met at a networking event. Was it Ron? Could it be Don or John or Sean? Yeah, that kind of impossible. HubSpot's new service hub can help. Well, with the service solution part, at least. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. With an AI-powered help desk and an AI chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. And a full 360 view of every customer. So your go-to-market team can keep up on the pulse of accounts before trying to upsell or cross-sell. Also, you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. And you know what that means. Better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit HubSpot.com service to do more for your customers today. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Marketing Against the Grain, your podcast for all things growth and entrepreneurship. As always, I am your co-host, Kit Bodner. I am joined by my co-host, who just got off some visits with his brothers from down under, Kieran Flanagan. What's going on? What did the Aussies have to say? We haven't done this in a while. Have we done this in a while? I don't think we've done this since I got back. Have we done this since I got back? No, we haven't. No, this is the first pod back. I wanted the listeners to hear how how you had two brothers roll in from the Australia area and really come in and wreck your life for a little while. Right. My two brothers are in growth, work in Sydney. I got them both into growth. And so in the same industry, I actually had them working for me part-time in my like weird consultancy search dark hat <laughs> business days. We golfed, pitch and putted because I'm not a good golfer. Man, nice. We ate some food. We invented a great betting game for when you were watching UFC because there's lots of fights. I can describe that at some point if listeners are interested. It actually makes it way more fun. The thing I wanted to start off with actually, Kip, Yes. I want you to describe to our listeners your shirt, because you are either going to Miami. No, I brought. I, I wanted to wear the party pod shirt today. <laughs> I wanted to wear a party pod shirt today. Kip is dressed like a flower pot. Kip, describe this amazing piece of art that you are wearing right now. I'm rocking a polo from Bad Birdie. They're a Shark Tank company. It's a golf polo, but for people under the age of 45. <laughs> They're basically the whole business model is direct to consumer. Cool colors and patterns, better fit, right? And PS, marketing against the grain on TikTok now, YouTube, we are taking over. So I wanted to look good in the video, Kieran. Oh, that's right. We're on video. I forgot about that. I'm wearing my comfy hoodie in my dungeon. <laughs> I must remember to start styling it because we are on video and I... Just for everybody listening, we got a fun episode today. We are going to talk about the marketing and growth roles of the future. It's going to be amazing. But Kieran, before we get into that, I had something. I think you might have something. I need to ask you a question to determine whether we can be friends <laughs> or whether you're just a complete animal. What a way to start off the show. Okay, well, <laughs> Anyone wants to do a two by two of like friend on one end of the spectrum, animal on the opposite end of the spectrum, like, please do that and post it. Oh, no, this is this is good. This is actually, once I asked you the question, it would be a great either or illustration Twitter image. So 
people get a kick out of our weird food stuff, Kieran. And I was eating food the other day and I've been trying to eat a lot healthier. I've been doing well, but I got daydreaming about cake mm. for some reason. I really don't know why. Like a nice big slice of chocolate cake. And I realized in thinking about cake that there are two kinds of people in this world. There's the kind of person who is a good, kind, civilized human being who starts at the front of the piece of cake, works his or her way back to the end, saves that best like wall of icing at the end of the cake for the very end. And then there's <laughs> freaking animals who eat the back wall of icing, tip it over and just make a total mess of it. And I would like to know which of those two camps you fall <laughs> okay, into. Okay, so I couldn't go to Starbucks today because I'm stuck in the house doing work and so i ordered a starbucks i've told the story that every time i order starbucks to get them to deliver to me i have <laughs> yes. to order cake <laughs> which i have, have to, to order and like it's actually becoming a problem because i'm eating a lot of <laughs> i have to eat it it's there and so i'm actually eating a lot of cake and so i've got lemon cake so there's lemon frosting on the top yep i know exactly what you're talking about i always save the best part to last yes it's a victory you have to eat all the other bit of cake to get to the bit of cake that you actually want to have and so that is what I do. So frosting lasts, whether it's a layer cake with a big wall of frosting at the end or a pound cake with a little icing on top like the Starbucks cake. If you eat your icing first, you're an animal. I'm glad that Kieran and I can still be <laughs> friends. I was worried. I'm not going to lie. I was worried. I was concerned. I didn't know how this was going to go. <laughs> if for some reason you are the animal who eats the icing on the back of the cake first, hit us up on Twitter at Kit Bodner, at Search Brat. I, I need to know who, who's out there who's just a complete, complete wackadoo just eating the back of the cake. I mean, Kip is the one with the blue tick. You want to take a victory lap? Oh, I got verified on Twitter. After 16 years, I finally get verified on Twitter. I am legit. I have no idea why, but I got the blue check. I'm doing a little blue check dance over here. Another reason for the party. Man, that is that is pretty cool. I want to pitch you a business idea, and then we can get into the rules of the future. I'm stealing this, and I finessed it from Twitter. It was posted as satire, <laughs> but I actually thought, hey, like you can actually make this into a business. So we always like to start with what is a problem in the world for marketers? One of the problems is we do not have real estate across which we can advertise anymore that is not over-consumerized and saturated. But what happens, Kip, every single day within a business context? Zoom meetings. Yes. Okay. What if you had a marketplace where people could actually sign up? <laughs> oh, this could be good. And, and basically, through the API, you could have average number of meetings that, that person does each and every day. Yeah. And then brands could sponsor people to wear their swag oh. and have a custom background during the Zoom meetings. In the Zoom meetings. I love this. Let's go. I actually think, in all honesty, for marketers out there, with the evolution of marketplace business models, this is going to be possible, where you're going to be able to do very targeted stuff. For example, our friend Sam runs a company called OneScreen.ai, mm, where they do this yeah. for all types of screens. If you want to look like you're taking over all of the screens and all of the restaurants around a baseball stadium, for example, great use case where you look like you're a huge brand, but you're actually just taking over these screens for this one hour like before this game, right? That type of really niche, deep, customized branding is going to be powerful. And I love the sponsorship. If somebody wants to sponsor you and I, I would say, it wants to get into HubSpot and wants me to wear some swag to my HubSpot meetings. Yeah. I'm open to it. I mean, I, I we have yeah. prices. We, 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 you know, we're, we're open to it. I can be sold for a pretty low price. 
<laughs> Fantastic. This is a tangent, but I think it's somewhat interesting for people who are trying to do something in digital and accelerate their career. Yeah. I don't know if you remember this. Like one of the things that HubSpot liked when I was doing the interview I, was I had this like wacky fashion site. I was doing all, all of these different affiliate sites. Oh yeah, yeah. And one of the things I did through that is like I grew it to a certain point that it was big enough. We we did this thing where wait before video was ever really a thing mm-hmm. where me and my brothers would wear the clothes and mm-hmm. show the video and then post them back online. The amount of free clothes we got. Oh, it had to be absurd. We were paid through clothes and sneakers. And so there's like lots of interesting things you can do around sponsorship. I love that. I'm in on that d- idea. I want to pitch you mine real quick before we get into marketing roles of the future. You ready? My idea is the other reason I wore this shirt today because it is golf related. You just talked about how you did a little chipping and putting and stuff with your brothers. One of the things that happens, right, in the world of golf, Kieran, is there's this really weird niche insurance play that happens where somebody's having a fundraiser, they get 50 people to come along and they play a golf tournament and they say, oh, if you get a a hole in one on this golf hole, you win a car, you win Mm. $10,000. Thousand dollars, whatever, and that's essentially just an insurance policy, right? There's an, somebody underwriting the risk of that across all these tournaments, and then paying that out to the few people who win it. But right now, it's just very limited to to this tournament business. So, what if we went, we made a business where you could just pay on demand or even watch ads on demand to enter a chance to win money anytime you went out and played a, a hole of golf. So it's cool. You walk up to this par three, it's 150 yards and there's just like a kiosk there with a camera that's watching you. And then there's a camera at the hole to validate it. And you either just tap your credit card. Oh, that's cool. Or you say, hey, I'll agree to watch these ads for two minutes. And then boom, for the next two minutes, you have a chance to prep and hit the ball. And we have some technology that tracks that the ball you hit is the ball that went in the cup without you doing anything else and verifies it. And boom, it's basically like real time wagering your Friday afternoon practice round. What do you think? I like it. You turn every golf course into a potential opportunity to like gamble and win things. DraftKings. Yes. But for IRL and you take this something that people are used to doing and you even can let them up the ante, right? It's cool. Pay us $5 to win $10,000. But if you watch these couple ads from our sponsors, it'll be 15. Like you can play with, with the dynamics of it there. I actually think it's a pretty good idea. I think that's a good idea. I think letting people... Gamble is always a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's true. Let's get into it. Everybody listening today, we're talking about the marketing roles of the future. One of the things that Kieran and I do a lot of is we we think about the future, what's changing in the world and how we adapt to that future world. And one of the things we were riffing on with each other, Kieran, on Slack, and then we decided we just would make it a show was, wow, the world's changing a lot. There's going to be new types of skills, new types of roles that if you're looking to build your career, you might want to consider that these are going to be real things over the next three to five years. And so we kind of thought we'd go back and forth, talk about some of those roles, provide why we think they're reasons why we think those are going to be big so that as you're thinking about your career, you could inform like what skills you want to develop. Kieran, do you want to kick us off on this? You want to, you want to give us our, our first role? Yeah, I'm going to steal us from Greg Eisenberg, who we are hoping to get on the show is like one of the great person on Twitter, Web3 community, all those things. I had to pick community. Hey, if you want to go at it on why community-led growth is a dumb term, please at me on Twitter. I'm fine to have a back and forth. <laughs> at search prep. If you come at me and tell me, hey, community is a great distribution channel. And then I ask you how you acquire demand for it and then you say events and then I say how do you acquire demand for events and you say email <laughs> stop writing to me you don't you know what you're doing end rant here Kieran's fired up everybody Ooh. 
Community designer. I love this thread. He wrote a great thread, community designer. We'll put it in the show notes. So what is a community designer? So one of the things I've thought about a lot in terms of building a community is community is somewhat similar to building a product-led growth business and that you have to really figure out how do I attract new users how do I activate those new users? And obviously all the, the way you do those things is somewhat different in a community. Mm-hmm. And how do I retain them, right? So like the, the kind of basic philosophy of how you do that is somewhat similar. And what Greg has is this great post around community designers. And so community designers and the way he described it is what I had been thinking about as a product manager for community. They kind of act like this pseudo PM, growth PM for your community. Mm-hmm. They're trying to figure out who is the target audience. And in communities, communities are really a community of more niche audiences. They're researching the audience. They're trying to figure out how they serve that audience in a differentiated way. They design the right community space. This is really important. So important. The way I differentiate audience and community, which gets conflated, is audience is someone who has a relationship directly with your brand, right? They are part of your newsletter list. They are part of your blog, whatever that may be. That's your audience. Community, they have a relationship with each other, right? To facilitate a goal and to reach a goal. And so what is the right space? Like, is that meetups? Is that a forum? Like, whatever that mm-hmm. is. They recruit the founding members. Most community, good communities, if you're growing a community that's not just around your product, you actually have to manually hand-to-hand combat, acquire the first group of people in, make sure it's high quality, and then you seed and grow it from there. They design the incentive structures. That's the whole thing why Web3 is so so interesting is because the incentive structures for Web3 communities are very different from Web2. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of work product engineer and all these different teams to make the community really, really good. And so I, I fully agree with him because in the world that we live in today, community is usually owned by like a community manager or like a kind of variation of different people. But I think great product managers who think very much of building a community like a product and these kind of community designers will have a real impact. And I do think, despite my kind of rants against the term, I do believe in community for businesses. And I think community designers are going to be much more important in the future. What do you think? Cool. Let me unpack this for everybody listening, because I generally agree. But how do we get here is what I think people listening would want to know. And how you get there to think about the types of roles, for example, community designer, how they would exist in the future is you first say, what is some broad scale change in the world that I believe is happening? Mm. This case is community. In, in generations past, it was subscription software, other major changes. And then you say, great, when broad scale change happens, there's thing blocks of stuff you need. First, you have just your raw jack of all trades, Jill of all trade builders who go in and do a little bit of everything. And that's what's been happening. And as it becomes more sophisticated, then you get more focused skills within that kind of broad opportunity. And what normally happens is design is a core competency of these things, right? If you think about software, started with engineering. As it got better, design became how you differentiated and how you built software over time, right? Same thing's going to happen in community. So you normally have some type of design resource in these big trends. You normally have some type of deep technical resource, Right. Like even if you look in marketing, like marketing operations wasn't a career 20 years ago. Mm. There's a, a heck of a ton of people listening to our pod that are marketing ops people today making real money, having a dope job that didn't exist 20 years ago because as marketing got mature and technology evolved, wow, you needed people with really deep technical skill sets like marketing operation. And so design doesn't always mean visual design. You did a great job of outlining that, Kieran, where it can mean designing incentives. It can mean designing products. It can mean a bunch of different things. And I think as you're thinking about any roles in the future, if you think there's a big macro trend 
a la community in this example, then understand that there's big opportunities to slot in with like process and design, as well as deep technical understanding and that discipline. And even if you don't know what those roles are today, if you build one of those skill sets to the other, you're likely going to be very successful long-term if that macro category keeps growing. Do you agree or disagree? I agree. I think truly understanding trends that matter in the world is really a superpower because then you can position yourself as someone who have expertise within those trends. A lot of the rules that exist today because of PLG and product-led growth did not exist prior to that business model, right? Exactly, exactly. And so you see, you saw this evolution. And to your point, like we were very early on PLG and I've watched it flourish and become mm-hmm. much more established and like much more known. And now there's like these roles that exist. It's very well understood. We understand what those roles should do. And I think similar in community, like we can argue about the community-led growth part, but I think in similar in community, there will be this evolution in terms of rethinking the roles that are associated with that. I think it will get treated much more like a product and products tend to have certain types of roles attached to them that a lot of communities do not today. I love this. I want to go to the next role, Karen. It's a role that you and I have talked a little about. I think was probably popularized by our friend, friend of the pod and past guest, Steph Smith, Mm. which is chief automation officer. I had that one as well. We don't share. (laughs) I know, I know. But this is a deeply important one. And I want to do my explanation. I want you to chime in here. Yeah. And there's always debates on what roles are going to get elevated at that kind of top C-suite level of any company, right? And one of the things I think you and I have seen is just a massive, pervasive disruption of technology. What, No matter what kind of business you're in, you're using way, way more technology than ever before. And what normally happens when you first adopt technology is you throw a bunch of people at it to manage that technology, right? And they engage with that technology. And then you realize that's a really inefficient way to grow. So because of that, you need to build automation and make that technology more manageable. You need to integrate that technology so that it works really well together. And that is why I think automation has the potential to elevate to that C-suite level, because that's not a functional problem. That is that every single department in a business has that problem, right? And I think Steph's articulated well. I've heard others articulate that well. But I think if you're out there and you are in marketing automation today, or if you're in sales automation today, something like that, wow, I think you have a big career opportunity ahead of you. If you can solve for those first principles of great systems integration, building great scalable automation instead of throwing people people at the problem and showing the return on that automation is going to be huge. What do you think? Yeah, I'm a huge believer of this. I think Steph has a great post in it. There is just huge value in having a team who go through every function and document repetitive tasks and then stack rank and order things that can actually be automated from a human perspective. But then actually, how can you use technology in ways that you can automate things that humans could not even imagine doing. One of the things that has happened, I think you touched there, which is, hey, companies are just using way more systems and techs and stuff. And so there's more opportunities to do a lot of this automation. Mm -hmm. Product-led growth actually exasperates that problem, which is really interesting, right? Because you have bottoms up and people can start to use tools within companies without really having any sign-off, you see this proliferation of all of these different tools we use within companies and this kind of like quagmire of different tech being used. And one of the things that product-led growth struggles with is like, how do you help a company consolidate that? Like, how do I tell you your entire team are using this collection of tools when they can just consolidate onto my app and 20% of your team are using that? I think that will get better because I think product-led growth companies are starting to focus on that. But I do think that there's still this ginormous opportunity for a automation team that works across the entire company. And I am in favor of that team. I love that. 
Kieran, I think we should each do one more of our roles of the future. But before, I was hoping if we could maybe slide in a hot take. Oh, always for the hot takes. I want to do a little zag here. I wonder if each of us could take our take on, we're talking about the roles of the future. What if we did the opposite? What is a role right now that you don't think will exist in the future? <laughs> I better not say event marketing. <laughs> You can say whatever you want, but I want to know what is a role in growth and business and marketing that exists today that you think will not exist or maybe exist in a far more diminished way than it does today. I love this, but you go first because your brain works quicker. I, I, this was a surprise for myself too. I just came up with this, so I do not have a prepared answer. So just so you know, I, I have an answer. I'm going to spin on a positive take. The folks who edit Marketing Against the Grain, please don't destroy me for this. I think I think editing is one of them. I think what I actually think is going to happen with editing is technology is going to 80-20 to editing. Where like, the 80% manual part of editing that quite frankly, I think most editors don't like is going to get taken away. And so I think editors as we know it will change dramatically where there'll be like much more creative editors or even a different type of how we think about producing or producers today and not like your very traditional editors because you have a ton of amazing technology, artificial intelligence that is changing the way people can package, slice and edit content and stories. Right. So my take is that Editing will be very different and be a very different career in the future than it is today. Yeah, I think the same reason you laid out is true for graphic design. Yep, I agree with that too. Right, and I think this is a good thing. If you work in graphic design, you can spend time doing things that are much more creative and things that you enjoy. But with Dali, yeah. I know that's going to be one of the stories that maybe we cover that they went paid and annoyed everyone. But with products like Dali, I think a lot of that kind of work, editing, graphic design, like the roles that are the nuts and bolts of marketing, I think get iterated away by AI and frees up those people. Now, you used to be an editor. Now I can actually focus my time yes. on being a producer, like really trying to figure out the creative part. I used to be a graphic designer. Now I can actually do UX or UI or like design interface. Like I can actually spend time doing things that are better because I can get all of this from, from AI. So I think my version of that is very similar to yours, which I think a lot of the nuts and bolts rules will go away through AI and, and tech and we'll be left with roles that people enjoy a lot more. I really do think the next generation of technology is going to help us be more creative. And I think what you and I just covered are some examples of how that could actually happen. Right. Okay. So a little hot take on what's going to change in the future or maybe go away in the future. Let's go back to, I, I got one more. I want to hear one more from you around new roles in the future. Do you want to go? You want me to go? I'll go. This is a role that exists, mm -hmm. but does not really exist in B2B. And I wanted to take the perspective of B2B. Oh, let's do this. So I think in future, we will see editor-in-chief become a more commonplace role in B2B. Mm -hmm. I think B2B, we have to evolve the way we think about content from being this kind of formulaic educational content, which is very important. But even educational content, mm -hmm. I think we'll need to keep moving further and further forward. And then we, we will pair that with stories and latest news and takes and sound bites and shows and things like that. And I think to do that, consolidating content under an editor-in-chief who has truly mastered how to build things that people care about within the internet, I think is going to matter in the future. Now, there was a real hot take. I would love to get your opinion on this role with a little bit of like extra sauce that I'm going to give you in that there was a real good article that I read on why Figma crushed Envision. Oh, yes. I want to talk about this in a future pod. Yeah. One of the things they said, which is related to this, which is why I wanted to bring it up, is like Envision got too over their skis and were like 
too deep in the kind of podcasting mm-hmm. video high quality content and not enough grounded in the things that truly mattered which is product mm-hmm. so editor-in-chief is mine but i do think that there is examples where people may have a different opinion on that i wanted to like throw that out there and see what you think i love your thinking there i think editor-in-chief we've talked a lot about this show in the past for for folks who this might be the first episode listening about taste and editorial taste being a critical skill in differentiating and building a brand going forward and i don't know how you get there without an editor-in-chief right right and i think that is that is a really 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 hard thing and i i totally am aligned with that mine is related Kind of, Kieran. I'm going. I'm going to give Kieran a shout out because I'm going to talk about a role that he's actually created that I don't know if anybody else has really created. Mostly in the world right now, you have an emerging profession called creative operations, and those are the people who who manage all your brand assets, creative processes, and everything. And that's a really growing discipline, and that's really important. And they do like digital asset management, and all that. We have an amazing team at HubSpot doing that. Shout out to to Kate and that whole team. But it's really disconnected from all of the stories Mm. you're telling, the content you're creating, the media you're making. And I think five years from now, media operations and like content operations is going to be a much, much bigger deal. Yes. You have a content ops team on your team. It's been game changing between managing the flows, repurposing, doing everything that you have to do to make the content magic happen. That is just going to be... There is no denying that most businesses are integrating media and content storytelling more and more into their strategy. And as you create more, you realize the need to have operations and management for all of that media. It just becomes critical. Yes. Let the creators create. Let the operators operate. Let take it all off it. They hate doing it. They hate doing it. Yes. Take all the overhead off the creators and let the people who love to operate and do the minutia and like love and get pride in that do that and have an amazing time. If you stack rank creators, builders, operators, builders hate doing operating work. It's a drain on them, but not too much of a drain that they can't do their role. Mm -hmm. Creators hate it. They like hate it. They hate it. It is like a drain on their mental willpower to continue on and do creative work. And so I think the more you can take the operational work off them, the better. So I am 100% aligned on that role. I I love it. So for everybody listening, I want to recap the roles we talked about. Kieran kicked us off with community designer as the first role of the future. There's going to be a huge role in building, designing both communities, technology, and incentives for communities. I then went to chief automation officer and and talked about the future importance of automation and how that's going to elevate to the C-suite. Kieran, you then went editor-in-chief and, and really elevating editorial taste as part of business strategy. And then I went content operations, media operations to enable that storytelling at scale and to get the most out of all of the, the storytelling you're doing. I think those are four roles that if those are areas of skills that you're interested in, that you can build a real career on over the next two, three to five years. That being said, Kieran, I do want to close this out with something fun. We got a listener review that I wanted to call out to to make sure we get a shout out. We got a new Apple podcast review. If you're listening to the pod, you like what you're hearing, I would love it if you called us out, left a review on Apple podcast. Do you want to hear hear our review and and, and and give a shout out? Yes. Okay. It's from a founder. This founder runs a business called Power Women. So P-W-R-W-M-N. So it's pronounced Power Women. It's abbreviation. So at powerwomen.shop at Power underscore W 
MN is the Instagram and Twitters. And they retired a business podcast that just gave them fluff and like put yourself out there advice and didn't get into the details, right. the behind the scenes of the marketing strategy, the growth strategy. And they think we're doing a great job of that. Thank you for your review. We are trying really hard to, to do that. And if you have specific topics that you want us to cover, specific questions you want us to answer, you leave those in Apple Podcasts, we will make it happen. We will make sure that we shout everybody out on Apple Podcasts that leaves a review on marketing against the grain. Kieran, anything before we roll out today? No, I think this has been a great episode. If you have ideas on roles in the future that you think you missed, as Kip said, please leave them on the reviews and we will actually call them out in the future shows with your name and uh, make sure that people know about the roles that you think are going to exist in the future and important in the future that we do not have today. Awesome. And until next time, everyone, this is Marketing Against the Grain. We'll be back with you real soon. <laughs>